This morning, we are going to begin a new teaching series from the four smallest books of the New Testament. And as we dig into these books, we're going to find that they are packed with practical truths that are applicable to our very lives that we live day by day. And so we're going to study for the next 10 weeks these four small books. We're going to look at Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John, and the book of Jude. Now these four small letters written specifically with a certain topic that they will cover, they are what we are going to entitle power-packed postcards as these small letters were written with a powerful theme and message. So today we will launch here in just a moment in the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon is where we'll start and actually spend the next three weeks in looking at this smallest yet most explosive of letters that Paul would write. Only 25 verses, and in just a moment we're going to see what it means and what it's about and how it applies to us today. Now it's very interesting to see how the, two, the last two series kind of merge and gel together. Uh, if you were here for the last month, month and a half, we studied forgiveness, getting rid of the baggage. And we studied throughout the scriptures the very important truths of the imperative for us to give forgiveness in order to receive God's forgiveness. We studied how to do that and how to even forgive when somebody doesn't say, I'm sorry. And we finished that two weeks ago, right before Mother's Day. And then we launched this new one, the Power Pack Postcards with Philemon. And if you already know a little bit about Philemon, you know that Philemon is all about forgiveness. And so it's interesting how these two series kind of gelled together. Although I'm honestly not interested in beating a dead horse on the topic of forgiveness. But the lesson of forgiveness and the truth of, it, of the scripture with forgiveness is a very important topic and one that we need to take note of and apply to our life. Now, we see amazing examples all throughout the scripture from the Old Testament with Joseph to the New Testament with Jesus and Stephen. And so there's example after example, but this is yet another one that teaches us some very specific truths about offering or giving forgiveness to someone. Now let me set the stage for the book of Philemon because it's important for us to understand why Paul wrote this letter to the man named Philemon. Philemon is about reconciliation. It's about the relationship between Christians. And so there's a man by the name of Onesimus. His name means useful. And he was a slave of a believer of a Christian whose name was Philemon and they lived in Colossae, Colossae. Now Philemon had served under Paul's leadership and he was, would have been at the church there in Colossae. We'll find in just a moment that the church actually was in Philemon's home. And so Paul and Philemon had a very close relationship. Paul's leadership in the church at Colossae, though he was not the founder of the church, nor was he the elder or the pastor of the church. Paul would have been playing some type of leadership role in training the elder, Epaphras, uh, probably investing in the people that would have been there at that church. But apparently Onesimus, the slave of Philemon, apparently he had stolen from Philemon or wronged him in some way, and he has taken off from Philemon's house and from Colossae. And so he ran all the way to Rome, which is where Paul was in his first imprisonment. Paul is there in Rome. And Onesimus makes his way from Colossae to Rome. That would have been some 1,200 miles away. It'd be like from here to New York City, where I guess apparently Brooklyn is going this summer. I don't know who she's going with. 
but uh, we need to find that out. But Paul wrote this letter at the same time that he wrote the book of Colossians. And he gave it to Onesimus to carry back to Philemon. Now, Onesimus is, why did Onesimus leave Colossae to run 1,200 miles to, uh, to Rome to find Paul? Did he know Paul? Did he stumble upon Paul? Did he know where Paul was? Did he have a, a direct reason or, or, or purpose to go? We're not given those specific details, though we just know that a part of the story was that Onesimus had reason in his heart to travel 1,200 miles, not 60 miles per hour like we could do today, but he would have traveled and taken a long time to get to where Rome or where Paul was in prison. So Onesimus, though, when he gets to Paul, he finds his need for Jesus Christ. And Paul has the privilege, as directed by God and preordained by God, to lead Onesimus to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so now Paul is in a fix. He's burdened about Onesimus, who has either stolen or in some way wronged Philemon. He has fled for his life. He has run to Paul. Paul has shared the gospel and led him to Jesus Christ. And now what is Paul going to do? He looks at this man, Onesimus, and sees him useful for the ministry. He looks at Philemon as a spiritual man within the church, and how will he bring the two back together? And so in Paul's estimation, he is now going to say, Onesimus should be received back as a brother, not as your slave. And so Paul even promises to pay whatever debt Onesimus might have or might owe to Philemon. So you could call this a little bit of a pickle. People seem to be in some tight spots here. You've got Philemon, whose slave has stolen from him, wronged him, and fled. You've got Paul, who has received this man, led him to Christ, and now sees him useful in the ministry. And you have Onesimus, whose life has been so changed by the gospel, but needs so desperately to be reconciled to Philemon. And so now knowing what's going on in this very small book of the Bible, let's jump in and read some of these verses. So verse number one of Philemon, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved uh, Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the com communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of thy saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now Paul will continue on in verses 8 through 16 with this petition or this plea to Onesimus to forgive and then the promises of Paul to Philemon as he concludes this letter, this postcard written to Philemon. So this morning, let's dig into the first seven verses of this book and let's see the resume of a forgiver. The resume of a forgiver. Father, we are going to ask you to guide our thoughts for these next several moments as we study your word. I ask that you will eliminate distracting elements that will cause our mind to wander or for us to become checked out of your message. 
Lord, I also ask that you would use me as your messenger so that nothing of my own mind would be said today, but that I would only clearly communicate that which you give to us. Use this time to strengthen us, to challenge us, to convict us, and to bring us change so that we can be more like your son, Jesus Christ, being changed into his image. May we look today to be challenged to take the next step in our spiritual journey. May we be willing to search our hearts and be moldable before you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the first three verses, one, two, and three, we see a typical salutation or greeting that would have been in a first century letter. It would have been at the very beginning that the writer of the letter would have given his name. Paul does that here as he mentions that Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing this from a prison cell in Rome. And he begins this letter with a tone like no other time in his writings. Remember, in our New Testament, we have 13 uh, books that were written by the Apostle Paul. And this letter has a completely different tone. The prison epistles, which are Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and the pastoral epistles that he wrote to pastors in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, as well as his letter to the Corinthians. All of those letters he would begin with the reminder of his God-given authority as an apostle. Now that was really important for him in, in addressing these letters because it helped those who were reading to take note of the authority by which Paul gives this letter. But notice that Paul addresses this letter to Philemon in a very calm way or in a way that is going to let all guard down by saying, this is Paul, a prisoner of the Lord. I don't come to you dogmatically or pointing my finger in your face. I don't come to you in a way that is going to be authoritative. He chooses to just use this very simple label in the beginning it's a gentle appeal to his dear brother. And so he addresses this letter not only to Philemon, but to a few others. Did you pick that up in verse number two? He says, also to our beloved Aphia. Bible scholars would say that this was Philemon's wife. He also says Archippus, most likely their son. This would have been someone who would have been uh, active in the ministry, as Paul labels him as a fellow soldier. It could have been somebody who was leading another house church in Colossae. It uh, could have been somebody out of the church there in Philemon. But whether it is Philemon's son or whether it's just a friend of the ministry, we know that he was a fellow soldier, a fellow laborer of Paul's. Then he also addresses this letter to the church that met in Philemon's house. Notice that in verse number three, and to the church. Now, the first century churches would have met in homes, and they would not have had the traditional church buildings like we know today. An interesting fact is that it wasn't until the latter part of the third century that an actual church building was found to have been constructed by two homes that had been put together and a platform had been built, and that would have been found in, in Europe. And so this first century writing, the churches were meeting in homes, and he is addressing this, and you'd say, well, why is this such a personal letter being addressed to Philemon, his wife, their son, a fellow soldier in the ministry, and also the church? Because it would have helped them to understand the urgency of forgiveness. No doubt the church people would have known what Onesimus has done. 
Some maybe are asking for justice to happen to Onesimus, for, just, for Onesimus to be returned to Philemon and for him to feel the wrath of judgment for the decisions he has made. And so no doubt that, that thought and message is going on through the church body, but also not only the urgency of forgiveness to be communicated, but also for the church to keep Philemon accountable for what Paul is writing to them. And so here in verse number 3, he continues by giving a standard greeting of Paul's. If you study all of the beginning of the books that he wrote, you will find this statement, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace means that of salvation. Peace is the result of salvation. The source by which it comes is he writes God the Father and the Son Jesus Christ. What Paul is doing at the very beginning of all his writings is he is teaching a very important doctrinal truth, and that is the deity of Jesus Christ. So that Jesus is God in man form, that he is equal with God the Father. So this is crucial information for a church to read and digest, as well as for any reader who is reading what Paul has written. And so this simple statement is the intense and bold affirmation of the deity of Christ. Now Paul gets into the description of Philemon in verses 4 through 7, and that's where we build this resume of a forgiver. So look in verse number 4. He says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. So number one, we see here a mission to love God and love people. Now, on a number of occasions, the very theme, love God and love people, which is the why we do what we do at Parkway, it, uh, it comes out often in a sermon like this. In our Discover Parkway class, we were looking at the distinct roles or the direction of our ministries, not as a church, but in our individual ministries. So what are you doing in God's church? How are you using your spiritual gifts, your talents and abilities? How are you using those to bring glory to God and a blessing to others? So what we see then is that the direction of our ministry is, first of all, to God, it's to each other, and it's to non-believers. That's our focus of our ministry. That comes back to the two greatest commandments, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. These are the two greatest commandments, and the law and prophets hinge on those two greatest commandments. And so we see here a, a believer by the name of Philemon has a mission within his own life that he's going to have this concern and this love for God and for people. When Paul begins this main body of his letter, he addresses this concern for God that Philemon has. And it's, it's one of those that we see very clearly as a genuine desire to please God with his life. It is one that is because God has forgiven him, he too can grant forgiveness to those who have wronged him. And so Philemon's concern for the Lord is evident by the life that he lives. And Paul is willing to address that very clearly. And saying, because of your love for God, you have a love for others. So this concern for people, because his faith was real, it came into action towards others. Folks, let's quit talking about our faith being authentic and real. Allow faith to be in action. 
So faith in action proves the authenticity of our faith, that it is real, that it is not just words we say or life that we lived in the past, but it is who we are and we are identified by that love for God and that love for people. Well, we don't want this love for God and love for people just to be the message and the why we do what we do in our church world. It has to be the way we live each and every day, what we call our Christian life, so that we are clearly identified as a follower of Christ because our love for God naturally then causes us to prove our faith or our faith in action by loving people. And loving people means that we have to love the unlovable and love those who are most difficult to love. And Philemon was doing that. And Paul was so assured of that that he was able to begin this letter by reminding him of his love and faith toward God and toward the saints, toward people. This concern for God and others was fueled by love, this concern. And this is the love of will and choice. It's the agape love. It is, it's not a falling in love. It's not that because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, because I'm a Christian, I'm just going to fall into this love with him and fall into loving other people. No, it's an act of the will. It is a choice that we make. It calls us to self-sacrifice. It causes us to serve others. That's this kind of love, which was defined in Philemon's life and should be in ours as well. So this is not a learned love, but rather a source that is already in us by the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5. 5. Tap into that love from the Holy Spirit so that you will naturally love God and love others. So Philemon, the forgiver, he has a mission to love God and love people, and verse 6, it flows into an importance of spiritual partnership. In verse 6, we see that in that the communication of thy faith may become effectual. Now, there is no place in the body of Christ for isolation. There is no place in the body of Christ for isolation. Too many try to be a lone ranger in their Christian walk. Accountability is not something they are even willing to consider. It's not something that they're willing to pray about or to pray for. When people ask, hey, we missed you last week, or we've missed you for several weeks. How have you been? Are you okay? What's going on? They get a little riled up. How dare you ask my personal life? And when I'm there, I'm there. When I'm not, leave me alone. It's that area that says, I will live my Christian life in isolation, and a lone ranger, I will do my thing, and I will live in peace and, and, and quiet. So what we find here is this importance of spiritual partnership. I want you to notice here in our English translation a word that, if you're not careful, can confuse you of the meaning of what Paul is saying. Look at the first part of verse number 6. He says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual. Now that... This word communication, someone may say, well, this, thank you, Paul, this is an example that tells us we need to communicate our faith, we need to be a bold witness, we need to tell others about our faith, communication. Others may say, well, this is an example of communication with others about the things of God and having a good conversation about what God's doing in my life. There's this importance of communication. And we would understand if that would be the result that we would get from reading this without studying 
the original language or the meaning of the word communication. The original meaning of this word is the word fellowship. It's the word that many of you have heard before in the Greek, koinonia, and you've heard of that in the book of Philippians. You've heard of that when we talk about fellowship, partnership, when you talk about belonging. So that's the word that Paul is using here. It's this word for sharing. Now, why is that important? Well, because what he is speaking here is of this Christian fellowship or communion with God or, or even more uh, is, is going even further is your fellowship or communion with others, with other believers. It's Christian partnership. It's much deeper than just enjoying each other's company. It's referring to a mutual sharing of what we would see today as belonging. The word belonging. So Paul is saying to Philemon with great confidence that the communication, the sharing, the, the partnership of your faith may become effectual or powerful or very uh, doing something further than that. Now you know what it means to have the sense of belonging or not belonging. How many of you ever can remember a place when you looked around and you thought, you know what, I really don't feel like I belong here. Anybody ever been like that before? So yesterday or last night, Natalie and I and the girls had the privilege to go to the VIP supper at Mission Barbecue. Mission Barbecue is opening up on South Florida Avenue, right across from Wendy's. And they open up tomorrow with a ribbon cutting and officially open in the community tomorrow. Well, with some connections through the Lakeland Chamber of Commerce, I received a ticket for the VIP, which is nice because that's free food. So you go in before it's officially open, and you order off the menu, and they get to practice. Kirsten was there. She works there. Where are you, Kirsten? She did a great job serving our table. Um, and, and, and so what ended up happening is we get our food, we order, and they're like, well, don't you want more? And I'm like, well, well sure, I'll try some more of that and some of that. And, uh, and, and so we get all these things off the menu. We're sitting there, we're enjoying it, but then we begin to look around. And there's the mayor, Bill Mutz is there, the owner of the Chick-fil-A's on the north and south side, Scott Brickhouse is in there. Then as we're getting ready to leave, we're kind of like, well, there's a lot of important people around here, you know? And then people start asking you, well, so how did you get a ticket to here? And I was like, well, I just know somebody, you know? I just kind of got a, got a sweet connection to be able to come for free food. Then as we're getting ready to clean up so that they can, you know, seat somebody else, there's a long line. We think, well, we'll, we'll just take the rest home and we'll eat it tomorrow. And uh, so then a guy comes up to me and says, hey, how'd you enjoy your dinner? Oh, it was really good. Yeah, you're going to enjoy this place. He's like, oh, really? You're going to enjoy it? I was like, the good food. He's like, well, actually, I'm the co-founder of Mission Barbecue. I'm like, oh, well, hey, yeah, so you know this place is good. And he's like, well, we hope so. And, uh, and so we, you know, I didn't know what to say to the co-founder. You know, they got like 60, 70 restaurants around the south. But it was just one of those feelings where you're like, I don't know if I belong in this crowd, but I'll take my barbecue and go. You know, that's what I was doing. Then I walk into Parkway Baptist on Sunday morning, and I'm among friends and family, and I realize this is a place to belong. This is a place to be. There are spiritual partnerships. There are conversations to be had about how life is going. What are the trials you're facing? How can we pray with you, for you? How can we go through this journey beside you? How can I lift you up before the Lord and intercede on your behalf? That's partnership. That's spiritual belonging. That is something that is unique and very special. 
Some people would think that it's a cult-like family, but the reality is we're a family of God that celebrates and worships together. We go through the darkest of times together and we come up on the mountaintop together. We pray together, we laugh together, we cry together and we mourn together. This is because of spiritual partnerships of a place to belong. And Paul is writing with great confidence to a Philemon that says, this spiritual partnership is important in you because I saw it when I was in Colossae and I remember being in the church house and I remember being among the people and I remember how spiritual partnership was important to you, Philemon. And he said, because of that spiritual partnership of thy faith, may it become effectual or powerful by your acknowledgement of every good thing, every blessing which is in you in Christ Jesus. This was important for Philemon to remember because Paul is getting ready to tell him that I want you to forgive and to receive back Onesimus, the guy that wronged you, the guy that stole for you from you, the guy who has crossed you the wrong way, I want you to receive him back and forgive him, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. So this emphasis of spiritual partnership rang a sensitive chord in the heart of Philemon. The last part of this verse says, acknowledging every good thing, this blessing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And when you and I are devoted to living for the glory of God, we cannot help but forgive others. Why? Because an unforgiving spirit does not glorify God. The verse we're teaching Bailey and Brooklyn, uh, Bailey and Brooklyn right now is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That begins their wheels turning. That begins for them to be able, be able to recognize, is there something in my life right now that's not glorifying God? Does my lack of immediate obedience serve myself or does it bring glory to God? Well, that's an easy one for a six-year-old to recognize. It's not so that you glorify daddy or please me or I become a proud father of a very obedient daughter. It becomes that we in this spiritual partnership realize that what we do is to glorify God. And so if mommy tells you to go get ready for bath time, you're going to obey right away, not because mommy says so, but it brings glory to God for you to obey Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents in the Lord. So we guide our children, we guide our kids to do things for the glory of God and it can all come back to a motivation to be pleasing to Him. So we can teach our kids that, but we also have to teach ourselves that. Because there's times in our life where God says, Peter, I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to have faith over fear. I want you to trust in me and completely depend on me. And I can begin to stumble and I can begin to come up with excuses and I can delay but if I have a true heart of wanting to glorify God in everything I do, I will obey right away. I will do that which he has shown me. I will do that in ways he has guided me. And I will completely trust in him through that journey. So when we look at the benefits of this spiritual partnership, we see that we must acknowledge that the blessings come from Jesus Christ. That builds the confidence, just as it did with Philemon, that he would offer forgiveness to Onesimus because Philemon had a concern to live for the glory of God. If Philemon was not concerned about living to the glory of God, 
Paul would have a heavy task on his hand to convince Philemon to forgive Onesimus. So may that be our motivation, is living to the glory of God. And then last in verse number seven, he says, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of thy saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Here's a desire to be a true blessing. Philemon had a desire to be a true blessing. Let me say this word, and then I want your wheels to begin turning. Reputation. Now ask yourself, what is your reputation? What is your reputation at your workplace? What is your reputation in your neighborhood? What is your reputation with your family? In your school, young people? Uh, What is your reputation with the people that know you best? Now, verse 7 tells us what Philemon's reputation was. He had a reputation of love. This was a fact that brought much joy and comfort to Paul. And he had a reputation that other Christians were refreshed and encouraged when they were around him. Isn't that interesting? I, don't, I think it's unfortunate that not every Christian is a joy and refreshment to be around. I, I think that's just a knock against the name of God. Now, we have bad days and we have bad months, but some people are having bad lives. There should never be a reason where people can't find security, safety, and comfort around us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so the reputation that, that Philemon had was that he was a genuine follower of Jesus Christ who just loved God and loved people. And he refreshed people, verse number seven, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee. The, the bowels is the seat of the emotions, the inner part of a being. And so it tells us that people were struggling and suffering. They were hurting emotionally and they found refreshment by being around Philemon. He brought troubled people rest and renewal. He was a peacemaker, a fruit of the Spirit. And then a beatitude, a representation of this peace in our life. Not the one that's stirring up conflict. Not the one that just loves to stir up problems. That causes arguments and then steps away and I'll just leave that with you two. No, you're the very root and source of this problem. And so here scholars will tell you that from as far as we know, Philemon was not an elder or what we would call a pastor. He was not a deacon. He was not a teacher in the church. Most likely he was a businessman, probably a wealthy businessman. But he was a man of natural kindness. He was a source of blessing to everyone. He was the kind of person that Paul knew could be counted on to forgive in this extreme situation. Some of you are familiar with these names, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCauley, and and Roger uh, Yauderin. They, They all five moved with their families to Ecuador during the early 1950s to befriend the remote tribe of the the Wayodani Indians. They were known, these Indians were known as one of the most violent social groups in modern history. Family members of this tribe routinely killed one another over simple disagreements. If babies cried too much, they were abandoned. 
and vengeance in all of its homicidal fury was considered an acceptable means for spearing somebody. It was certainly a, a reason and motive for putting a spear through somebody, not only outside of the tribe, but within the tribe. Now, they were known by their neighbors as the Akas, or savage Indians, because of their murder with little remorse or regret. Ultimately, the five young men would die violent, seemingly nonsensical death to the hands of the Akas. On the day of their tragic deaths, the women were back at the base. They were praying for their husband's time with the Akas and asking God to keep them safe as the men would fly their plane and landed into the uh, tribe of the Aka Indians, hoping to communicate with them to break down barriers and to build relationship and plant gospel seeds. But at 4.30 p.m., there was no reply on the radio, which immediately put the women in alarm. An hour later, helicopters and planes from the Ecuadorian Air Force, the U.S. Army, Air Force, and Navy, they swarmed along the river looking for any signs of the missionaries. Finally, one of the bodies was found downstream. And then three others were found. The helicopters radioed in saying that they had found the bodies, the dead bodies on the beach. Their bodies had been brutally pierced with swords and hacked by machetes. Their wives received the news and they replied with this, quote, The Lord has closed our hearts to grief and hysteria and filled them with his perfect peace. Some would say death for nothing. Many people thought it was a tragic waste of a life when five missionary men died trying to just contact the Akas. They were very dedicated men. They were physically and spiritually ready to go to the mission field of Ecuador. But things changed so drastically. And yet their life and death by the Akas, it continues to inspire Christians today. Because the story continues how that two years after their death, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, and Rachel Saint, Jim, uh, Nate's sister, they went back to Ecuador. They lived in the same village where they were much loved for their work with the children. They eventually befriended a number of the native people nearby, and one day they were invited to live with the Aka people, the very people that had killed Elizabeth's husband and Rachel's brother. They asked Elizabeth how she could be so forgiving, and she told them about someone named Jesus of Nazareth who had forgiven her. Steve Saint, who was five years old when his father Nate was killed, he grew up befriending the very men who had killed his father, and he came to love them and to regard them as family. He would even eventually be baptized by their hands and to be embraced as the son in their tribe. An amazing story of these two women and the son Nate. That journey of going back to the Akas and continuing to love them unconditionally can only happen because of someone with a resume of a forgiver. You see, the impact continued on. Had those widows packed up, left in despair and hysteria, everybody would have said, you go, you heal, and find something far away from Ecuador. But they said, no, this is our calling. And they went back to the very tribe and loved them and forgave them. And many came to know Jesus 
because they were willing to forgive. Whose life needs to be impacted by you because you begin to have a resume of a forgiver too. Father, I ask in these moments that you will show us what you would have for us as individuals and how our life can be challenged and changed. Lord, I'm not going to preach another message during the invitation. I'm just going to leave it to you and the Holy Spirit. You know best of how to take application and put it into our hearts. But Father, I do want wisdom on how to help people. If there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, may they know of this relationship that can happen, a change in their life. So guide our thoughts in a few moments with that. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.